Hey, welcome to Socialism for All. Today's date is August 27th, 2020. And this is an audiobook of a speech by Stalin delivered at the French Commission of the Sixth Enlarged Plenum of the ECCI from March 6, 1926. Now, tomorrow we're going to be putting up the speech delivered at the German Commission of the same thing from March 8th. 1926. So if you're interested in finding out more, you can also listen to that. Additionally, already up on the channel, there is another audiobook uh, by Stalin that is called The Fight Against the Rights and the Ultralefts, something to that effect. Um, it's just a few videos back. So um, it's concerning the same subject. Essentially, at that time, they were dealing with rightist tendencies in the French Communist Party and ultra-left tendencies in the German Communist Party. So that is what this is about. So credit to Marxists.org, the Marxists Internet Archive, for uh, making this work available. This work is from Joseph Stalin Works, Volume 8, January to November 1926, pages 106 to 113. Publisher is Foreign Languages Publishing House, Moscow, 1954. HTML transcription by Brian Reed. It's in the public domain, again, from Marxists Internet Archive, 2008. Thanks very much to them at Marxists.org. They host tons and tons of free socialist, communist, Marxist stuff you can check out for, again, free. Let's get into the audiobook. Audiobook begins... Comrades, I am unfortunately not very well acquainted with French affairs. Hence, I cannot deal with this subject as exhaustively as is required here. Nevertheless, I have formed a definite opinion of French affairs from the speeches I have heard here at this plenary session of the ECCI, and on these grounds I consider it my duty to make a few remarks in this commission. We have several questions before us. The first question concerns the political situation in France. I am somewhat disquieted by the complacency to be detected in the speeches of comrades concerning the present political situation in France. One gets the impression that in France the position is more or less balanced, that in general things are getting along so-so. There are certain difficulties, it is true, but they will most likely not lead to any crisis, and so forth. That is wrong, comrades. I would not say that France is on the eve of her 1923 crisis. All the same, I believe that she is moving towards a crisis. In this respect, I regard as correct both the Commission's theses and the remarks of certain of the comrades. This is a special kind of crisis because in France there is no unemployment. The crisis is alleviated by the fact that France is just now being nourished with gold from Germany. But these are temporary phenomena. Firstly, because German gold will not suffice to cover France's internal deficiencies and to meet her debts to Britain and America. And secondly, because unemployment in France is inevitable. So long as there is inflation, which stimulates exports, perhaps there will be no unemployment. But later, when the currency finds its level and international debt settlements make their effect felt, concentration of industry and unemployment will be unavoidable in France. The surest symptom that France is moving towards a crisis is the consternation prevailing in French ruling circles, the ministerial reshuffles which are taking place there. The development of a crisis should never be represented as an ascending line of increasing collapses. Such crises do not occur. A revolutionary crisis as a rule develops in the form of zigzags, first a small collapse, then an improvement, then a more serious collapse, then a certain rise, and so on.
the existence of zigzags should not lead to the belief that the affairs of the bourgeoisie are improving. In this matter, therefore, complacency is dangerous. It is dangerous because the crisis may advance more swiftly than is anticipated, and then the French comrades may be caught unawares. And a party that is caught unawares cannot direct developments. Accordingly, I consider that the French Communist Party should steer its course in anticipation of a gradually mounting revolutionary crisis. And the French party must conduct its agitation and propaganda in such a way as to prepare the minds and hearts of the workers for the crisis. The second question is the growing danger from the right within the party. I believe that both around and within the French Communist Party, there is an already fairly solid militant group of rights, headed by individuals expelled or not expelled from the party, a group which all the time will be sapping the party's strength. I have just been talking to Cremet. He told me something new. He said that not only in the party, but also in the trade unions, there are groups of rights who are working surreptitiously and here and there are conducting an outright attack on the revolutionary wing of the Communist Party. Even Engler's statement today is symptomatic in this respect, and the serious attention of the comrades must be drawn to this fact. The rights always raise their head in a period of growing crisis. That is a general law of revolutionary crises. The rights raise their head because they are afraid of a revolutionary crisis and are therefore ready to do everything in their power to drag the party back and not allow the growing crisis to develop. Hence, I think that since the French Communist Party has to mold new revolutionary cadres and prepare the masses for the crisis, its immediate task is to rebuff the rights and to isolate them. Is the French Communist Party prepared to administer such a rebuff? I pass to the third question, the state of affairs in the leading group of the French Communist Party. Voices are to be heard saying that, if the rights are to be isolated, the leading group of the French Communist Party must be rid of two comrades who have fought the rights, but who have committed serious errors. I am referring to Trin and Suzanne Giraud. I shall speak frankly, for the best thing is to call a spade a spade. I do not know how advisable it would be to open the attack on the rights by removing from the leading group those who are fighting the rights. I thought, on the contrary, that a different proposal would be made, something like this, for instance. Since the rights have grown insolent, since they, when they closed down their organ, Bulletin Communiste, published a declaration which was a slap in the face to the party, would it not be possible to consider exposing some of the rights politically, if not expelling them from the party altogether? I thought that that was how the question would be put in view of the right danger. I thought that I would hear just that sort of statement here. Instead, we are asked to begin isolating the rights by isolating two non-rights. I do not see the logic of that, comrades. But interwoven with this question of the struggle against the rights is another question, namely the absence of a closely welded majority group in the political bureau of the French Communist Party. It is perfectly true that the party cannot wage a struggle against either the right group or against the ultra-left group unless there is a compact majority in the party's leading group capable of concentrating fire on one point. That is perfectly correct. I consider that such a group is bound to take shape, and I believe that it has already taken shape or will take shape in the near future around such comrades as Seymour, Clamé, Thoreau, and Montmesseau. To set up such a group or to establish teamwork, so to speak, between these comrades in a single leading body would mean a concentration of forces in the fight against the rights. You cannot fight the rights because the rights are multiplying and they apparently have certain roots in the French working class. You cannot, I say, defeat the rights unless you unite all the revolutionary communists within the leading group which is prepared to fight the rights to a finish. 
To start the fight against the rights by dividing your forces is irrational, unwise. If there is no concentration of forces, you may both weaken yourselves and lose the fight against the rights. Of course, it is possible that the French comrades do not consider feasible a concentration of all forces, including in it both Trin and Suzanne Chauveau. It is possible that they consider this out of the question. In that case, let the French comrades, at a plenum of their central committee or at their congress, make the appropriate changes in the composition of the political bureau. Let them do this themselves without the ECCI. They have the right to do so. Quite recently, at the 14th Congress of the party, we Russian comrades passed a resolution to the effect that the section should be given greater opportunity to govern themselves. The way we understand it is that the ECCI should re refrain as far as possible from directly interfering in the affairs of the sections, in particular in the formation of the leading groups of our common turn sections. Don't compel us, comrades, to infringe a decision we have only just adopted at our party congress. Of course, there are cases when repressive measures against individual comrades are necessary, but I see no such necessity at the present moment. I think, therefore, that what is required of our commission is the following. Firstly, to draft out a clear-cut political resolution on the French question, calling for a determined struggle against the rights and pointing out the mistakes of those comrades who have committed mistakes. Secondly, to advise the French comrades to rally the leading group within the Central Committee of the French Communist Party around this resolution, spearheaded against the rights, that is, to bind the members of that group to carry out this resolution conscientiously by their joint efforts. Thirdly, to advise the French comrades that in their practical work, there should be no infatuation for the method of amputation, the method of rep repressive measures. The fourth question is that of the workers' trade unions in France. I have gained the impression that some French comrades take this matter too lightly. I admit that errors have been committed by representatives of the Trade Union Confederation, but I, I admit also that errors have been committed by the Central Committee of the French Communist Party in regard to the Confederation. It is quite natural that Comrade Monmousseau would like the party to exercise less tutelage. That is in the nature of things, since there are two parallel organizations, the party and the Trade Union Confederation, and at times there is bound to be a certain amount of friction between them. This also happens with us, the Russians, and in all communist parties, it is unavoidable. But the less the Central Committee of the French Communist Party intrudes in every detail of trade union affairs, the less friction will there be. The trade unions should be led by communists who work permanently in the trade unions and not independently of them. There have been instances of hypertrophy in the leadership of the trade unions in our party, the Russian party. You can find in the records of our party quite a number of resolutions adopted by our party congresses laying down that the party should not exercise tutelage over the trade unions, that it should guide them, not exercise tutelage over them. I am afraid that the French party, I trust the comrades will forgive me for saying so, has also sinned somewhat against the trade unions in this respect. I consider the party the highest form of organization of the working class, and precisely for this reason more must be demanded of it. Consequently, the errors of the Central Committee must be eliminated in the first place, so that relations within, with the trade unions may be improved and strengthened, and so that Comrade Monmousseau and the other trade union leaders may be in a position to work along the lines required from the point of view of the Communist Party. The party cannot develop further, especially in the conditions existing in the West. The party cannot grow stronger if it does not have a very important bulwark in the shape of the trade unions and their leaders. Only a party that knows how to maintain extensive connections with the trade unions and their leaders, and which knows how to establish genuine proletarian contact with them. 
only such a party can win over the majority of the working class in the West. You know yourselves that without winning over the majority of the working class, it is impossible to count on victory. Well, then, what do we find? We find that, A, France is moving towards a crisis. B, sensing this crisis and fearing it, the right-wing elements are raising their head and trying to drag the party back. C, the immediate task of the party is to eliminate the right danger, to isolate the rights. D, in order to isolate the rights, a concentration is needed of all the genuinely communist leaders within the leadership of the party who are capable of waging a fight against the rights to a finish. E, in order that the concentration of forces may yield the desired results in the fight against the rights and in preparing the workers for the revolutionary crisis, it is necessary that the leading group should have the backing of the trade unions and should be able to maintain proletarian contact with the trade unions and their officials. F, there should be no infatuation in practical work for the method of amputation, the method of repressive measures against individual comrades, but that use must be made chiefly of the method of persuasion. And that's the end of the main document. There are two notes. The first note is the sixth and large plenum of the executive committee of the Comintern was held in Moscow, February 17 to March 15, 1926. It discussed reports on the work of the ECCI and the Communist Party of Great Britain, reports on the immediate tasks of communists in the trade union movement, and on the results of the second organizational conference, and reports of the 12 commissions which were working at the plenum. The plenum devoted special attention to the tasks of communists in the fight for the revolutionary unity of the international trade union movement on the basis of united front tactics. J.V. Stalin was elected a member of the Presidium, a member of the political, eastern, and French commissions of the plenum, and chairman of the German commission. Oh, sorry, three notes, not two. Two, the reference is to the profound revolutionary crisis in Germany in the autumn of 1923. That was, um, going back up, talking about the 1923 French crisis. So that was there. There was a profound revolutionary crisis in Germany that year. And then the third note, Bulletin Communiste, a fortnightly newspaper, the organ of the right wing of the French Communist Party, published in Paris. The first issue appeared in October 1925, and the newspaper ceased publication after the 15th issue in January 1926. The last issue carried an anti-party declaration of the right wing of the French Communist Party. Okay, end of audiobook. Comments. So that was a real fight that the rights were putting up um, against the rest of the French Communist Party. Now, what is this fight? You can hear more about it in the document that I referenced that S4I did a few days ago. Let me get the title for you. It is Stalin, the fight against the right and ultra-left deviations or the fight against right and ultra-left deviations. No the. I think you can find it, though, anyway. Um, and uh, he elaborates in that document, what is the, the nature of the rightist danger? Basically, um, they, they feared any kind of illegal um, actions towards revolution. So they wanted to just stick to legal measures and um, not do anything illegal that might be you know, possible to exploit um, fissures in the capitalist power structure and capitalist credibility, et cetera, during the crisis in France. Basically, they were holding the party back from taking, you know, wilder, more revolutionary and possibly illegal measures. You know, it strikes me that there's a tremendous amount of uh, people in the United States where we're broadcasting from um, 
who are taking a similar approach. There are ultra lefts for sure. And we're going to, like I said, cover that in tomorrow's um, <laughs> Stalin speech at the German commission of the exact same conference uh, as this one. Um, you know, anarchists who will get out in the streets, but they won't really build towards anything because they want instant anarchy immediately. And that's just not the nature of how revolutions work, how socialist revolutions work. You know, in contrast to bourgeois revolutions, when when the bourgeoisie takes power, when they seize the state against the old feudal monarchical order of feudal nobility, capitalism is already built by that point. When proletarian revolutions occur, socialism is not built yet. The, so there's a contrast, a sharp contrast. When the bourgeois revolution occurs, capitalism is already built. But when the proletarian revolution occurs, that is the beginning of building socialism. So you get all these ultra-lefts looking at the USSR or China or Vietnam or whatever, North Korea, saying it's not socialist. Yeah, it's not socialist yet, entirely. They're, they're making strides beyond capitalism to approach socialism, to institute elements of socialism. But it takes a long frickin' time to build socialism. It just does. It just does. You go up against um, global capital, who is trying to turn you back and take over your country at every single step to, for you to take over, in the case of Russia or Vietnam or China, a very poor, uh, very rural, you know, quasi-feudalist country still that is not, doesn't have lots and lots of uh, industrial development, and to basically bring it through simulated capitalist development just to get to the point of overcoming natural scarcity and having the kind of abundance that's required for socialism. China, if you look at Xi Jinping thought, they are talking about having that basis by 2050. But that's, you know, 100 years after their proletarian revolution. It's not an overnight thing. There are setbacks. Building socialism takes a long time. So the ultra-left complaint is we can't have socialism, anarchy, whatever, classless, moneyless society on day one. Well, that's just not how building socialism works. You have a revolution, you take over power from the bourgeoisie. Your bourgeoisie is probably going to be around for a while. You just have to pen them in and take power away from them as fast as possible. But building socialism, not an overnight thing. But on the other hand, you have, and, and we have that in the United States. There's plenty of those people. But you also have rightists who understand what socialism is about. In other words, the thing I was just describing. But, hey, revolution is scary. And revolution is scary. Caleb Maupin, I have my fault, you know, problems with um, Caleb Maupin, but made a, a very good point in one of his uh, videos, which is revolutions are traumatic things for, for the people who live through them. I mean, really, they're, they're wars. Um, they're violent. They're... they're um, times of great unrest, unpredictability, chaos. It's disturbing, unsettling, and scarring to live through uh, one of these times of crisis because it is a crisis. The revolution is necessary so that the proletariat can take over the state and the means of production and other organs of power to put the bourgeoisie into the past, but they are difficult. 
I mean, no one should enjoy a revolution while recognizing that it's necessary. Otherwise, capitalism is going to destroy the planet and us. That's just that's just what happens. So, um, you know, socialism or barbarism and barbarism in this case being also extinction, not just uh, horrible conditions, but um, they will extinguish life on this earth. We look at the climate crisis and other things. So um, as well as just automation, making human workers increasingly irrelevant. I mean, that's been going on for a long time, much to the, you know, um, to contrast with like Andrew Yang, who says things like socialism is irrelevant because Marx didn't foresee automation. I just did <laughs> uh, Engels' socialism, utopian or scientific. He talks about automation and that. They talk about automation all the time. In fact, the IWW, which was founded in the United States in 1905 as a radical anti-capitalist labor union, very Marxist in its, in its approach, their whole thing was uh, the other trade unions at that point were only organizing skilled white male breadwinners. And a lot of the economy was turning into just button pushers and lever pullers. And the AFL and people weren't wanting to organize them because they were, quote, unskilled. The IWW was like, look, if you're not a capitalist, we will organize you. You know, no matter how you make your living exactly or what kind of work you do, they weren't interested in a labor aristocracy. So anyway, uh, the rights holding back revolutionary seizure of power and, and other things that, you know, threaten their legalist sensibilities. Well, that's a problem. What do you think? I'll leave it here. What do you think? Where do you see ultra left and where do you see rightist um, setbacks in the West? Let us know in the comments. This has been Socialism for All. Remember to follow us, Socialism for All, at facebook.com slash socialism for all. You're probably listening to this on YouTube right now. Remember to hit the like, share, subscribe, notifications, and leave a comment. If you like this, just leave a comment. It helps to boost the video in the YouTube algorithm so that more people see this socialist content instead of neo-Nazi boogaloo content. Just had a massive uh, thing on the page today, Facebook page, of uh, getting brigaded by libertarian crypto fascists praising the Kenosha, Wisconsin uh, shooter, 17-year-old kid who fell prey to neo-Nazi propaganda, has now ruined his life and uh, killed two people, I believe. So um, we need to get this message out there. Spread it. Spread it in your Discord groups. Also consider becoming a patron on Patreon, patreon.com slash socialism for all. Thanks to our current five patrons. We appreciate your support tremendously. Uh, all of it is encouraging. The more actual money I get, the more time I can devote to this. I would be doing this full-time every day. I really just need the financial support. I have an advanced education and am capable of doing a lot of uh, extensive research. I just don't have the time right now. I, I have to split my time with other things. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next video.